0: So we're we're two days before Thanksgiving for the morning huddle, and, um, you know, it gets to be this time of year, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, at least for me, today and tomorrow is cram everything in before uh, uh, Thanksgiving. What's today and tomorrow look like for you guys?
1: Pretty busy for me. Um, This is actually usually my favorite week of the year. Wednesday's like a half day kind of feel, uh, but not this year. It's gonna be uh, not this year. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
2: yeah, not for me either. Unfortunately, we, me and Josh just realized we're both headed to Philadelphia to visit family in Bucks County. Um, this oh. is the first year that <clears throat> me and my brothers are taking over Thanksgiving and um, <clears throat> cooking for my mom, so my mom gets to relax. But we're using her house still, so.
0: Is, do you think mom will actually relax? Because I, I, I know if like, it, that sounds like a really cool theory for my mom, there's zero chance she would relax. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure she's, you know, she says that she's going to be busy with my son, but I know she'll be popping in the kitchen, checking.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. And yeah, for the we, record, I said I was excited to go see my family. Stacy, I didn't hear her say that. Thanks. <laughs> just a little kidding.
2: Little buts. <laughs> no, John? no,
0: no, it was she just didn't she didn't say I didn't hear it. Excited. I didn't hear That's it. That's
2: all. <laughs> well, I have heavy responsibilities this year. So
0: <laughs> so so I got I, I started on total accident. I started a little bit of family drama yesterday. We've got, of course, the obligatory family text thread. And I saw this uh, article on how to prepare like the best Thanksgiving turkey. And I was like, oh, I'll send this along. And of course, it was like my mother was like, sure, we can change the way that I do Thanksgiving turkey. Evidently, that's Uh not good enough for you. And I'm like, no, (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't have it. No agenda. No agenda. (laughs) It was awesome. Uh, All right. Let's go ahead and get rolling uh, for Tuesday, uh, uh, November 23rd, 2021. Welcome to the morning huddle I'm Chad Prinky alongside my partner and producer Stacy Holzinger Stacy how are you today
2: Good great
0: what uh, uh, so so going going to Bucks County is that like the standard you always go to mom's
2: yeah she would not give up her holiday for anything for I mean she's an excellent cook so I don't think anybody really wanted her to give it up. <laughs> But this year, she's like, I- I'm taking a break. You guys got the kitchen, so.
0: You know, it, it's uh, it's my best recommendation is to screw it up. That way, next year, you get to return back to tradition. No,
2: that's a good idea. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah that's, that's, my, that's what I do with the dishes when I'm uh, given that task. <laughs> yeah. what I do. You know, anyway. so um, All right, cool. So, uh, uh, Stacy, uh, you know, her, Stacy's role, as always, is to come in in that last 10 minutes and capture – all of the uh, awesome questions that come in throughout the course of the session. So uh, for those of you who are viewing live right now on LinkedIn live, please um, make sure that you get comfortable with that chat function, fire your questions across. We want a chance to to address those throughout the course of the session today. uh, So, so Stacy, we'll see you with 10 minutes to go. Thank you so much. I I know you'll come uh, locked and loaded with some good ones. See you soon. See ya. So today, uh, my guest is Josh Hauserman. Uh, Josh Josh is a good friend of mine personally, uh, but he is the head of the bonding group for HMS Insurance Associates, where he leads a team of 11 agents uh, and, uh, and three other support staff that help to make those agents successful. And uh, Josh is also always behind the scenes to help not only his own clients, but the, teams, uh, the rest of his team's clients to solve complex uh, business and construction problems. Um, You know, to help these contractor clients to get things done. Um, I I actually knew Josh before I ever met Josh through my clients who anytime in a conversation over the years, um, you know, I've been serving the, the, the construction industry for 12, 13 years over that time frame. Uh, I would get into conversations with contractors and, and talk about their most trusted advisors, you know, their lawyers, their accountants, things like that. And I would hear Josh's name a lot. So we shared a lot of overlap with our uh, account base. And eventually I just thought I got to meet this guy. People talk about him. uh, You know, my clients speak about him the way I hope they speak to others about me. And, uh, and so Josh and I got to know each other. Uh, He and I share so many views about the building industry. He's taught me a lot personally so that I've been able to better serve uh, my clients as an advisor. So uh, when I invited Josh to join, uh, I was really excited that he accepted. We're here to talk business. And today's topic is, uh, common threads of the most bondable contractors from the view of someone whose team writes somewhere around $8 billion in bonds a year. So um, Josh, before we get rolling, um, give us any additional intro on yourself to to give uh, some context. Who are you uh, beyond what I've uh, laid out for the for for our audience?
1: Yeah, you nailed it. First of all, thanks for having me, and uh, and also thanks for uh, hosting our uh, client seminar last week. Um, for additional background, I've been here for uh, close to 17 years now. Um, I started out uh, just handling uh, house account leads and uh, basically supporting our producers. I was in that role for uh, about five years and gave me a great deal of experience. Um, I have my master's degree in accounting, which helps a great deal, as you can imagine, uh, in this field. And uh, ever since then, been uh, off and running. Awesome. So so
0: I don't want to take for granted. There are going to be some people who are watching this morning or listening, uh, you know, uh, on the recording that are construction and bonding gurus they know what they're talking about right they've got years and years of experience in the industry there are other also going to be some people uh, who who are uh kind of get the concept of bonding but they, but they don't you know they're not they're certainly not experts mm-hmm. could you give us like the one minute overview uh of yeah. what what is bonding just to kind of give context to the remainder of our conversation today
1: yes so um I'll answer it as it relates to the construction industry specifically, but basically, it's it's a credit transaction. Um, to give you like the the bond one hundred one answer, it's the underwriting's based on character, capacity, and capital. Um, character meaning you're going to do what you say you're going to do, and and um, you know you'll, your references will check out. If you haven't had a bankruptcy, things like that. Um, capacity meaning you have the labor, the equipment, the experience to handle the the jobs uh, in your backlog, and Um, capital meaning you have money. Got it. And and so a bond might be defined as what? I would say um, a bond in this context is synonymous with a guarantee. So you have a, a bid bond, which is a guarantee for your bid. Performance bond guarantees your performance of the contract and a payment bond guarantees payment of subcontractors and suppliers. Excellent.
0: All right, cool. So with that as the backdrop, it's this you know, question of credit worthiness, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that's that's going on capacity, character, capacity. And what's the last one? Capital, capital, character, capacity and capital. OK, good. All right. That's a good backdrop. Um, so. I think most, you know, for, for what bonding means to me, I think most, most contractors want to be able to brag about their bonding capacity. <laughs> you yes. know, most, m- most contractors, my impression is it's a way of sort of humbly communicating their financial stability, strength, trustworthiness, et cetera. As a bonding pro, what do you think high bonding capacities really signify uh, w- when somebody says, you know, we, we've got X, you know, desirable bonding capacity?
1: Yes. Um, first I would agree with you. Uh, I think it's it's a status symbol within the construction community. Um, and really what it represents is, is, uh, staying power. And I would argue that the underwriting process is is effectively like a a construction best practices checklist. You, you kind of, um, you get into a, a contractor's operation and, and, um, you see, you know, look under the hood and see how they, they perform and, and, um, you know all the the upside, the downside, and everything else. Um, you mentioned best practices.
0: Uh, best practices in what way? Well, what are, what are some of the examples of best practices, or, or the checklist? So if I were, if I'm a contractor, this is valuable information because there's a there's clearly a list of um, you know are are you doing things right? Yep. That that you know that that, that underwriters are using. What are some of the things that are included in that kind of best practices?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's it's uh, in a word or two words, operational excellence, and that's in in every department and throughout the organization. So that that starts with you know knowing your costs and and uh, having a uh, uh, accurate accounting system, um, bidding, you know, having a checks and balances in your bid process. Um, obviously, uh, having the experience in the field, having the the labor to support the projects that you're bidding, um, good subcontractor relationships, whether you're a GC or a subcontractor, uh, identifying risks on projects. And I, I think the biggest thing is you can tell in a conversation with a contractor if when you bring up you know potential pitfalls or, or things that could drive a, a project to go sideways, if that contractor has uh, a backup plan for their backup plans. I think that's the best way to put it. So in other words, if, you know, if I've been in meetings where um, there, there's concern about labor and, you know, we, we have a great crew here, but what if the next contractor over comes over and offers, you know, field labor $2 more an hour and, you know, they disappear one day, what do you do? So you have to think about scenarios like that, you know, how, how, how are you going to manage your uh, your subcontractors on the critical path? Um, yeah, just, you know, evaluating contract terms, you, you have to have controls in place, you um, and and really just vetting not only project risk but operational risks within your organization. Interesting. Um,
0: the the I'll tell you one thing that I want to I zoom in on is this idea. You, so, as I listened to your checklist, okay, things went from in my mind kind of uh, you know basic to more and more and more complex as you you know kind of went down the line. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm you know. Just going through, like knowing your costs. Um, gosh, I, I bet you that there's a substantial number of, of contractors that that can't check that box, um, you know, fully. So w- when somebody, um, and, and then there's and then there's maybe the contingency plan for the contingency plan being mm-hmm. that one's you know s- sort of really advanced. So right. if you've got knowing your costs as a foundational item, then there's contingency plans for contingency plans as something that is, uh, you know, do you think about this at all in, in any kind of hierarchy? Is that something that you, um, you know, look at, or, or is that just my interpretation?
1: You know, I wouldn't necessarily look at it in that way. I would look at it more along the lines of, uh, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So if you think about it, if you, if there's 20 boxes to check and you check 19 of them, that one uh, unchecked box could be the the uh, shortfall that takes a company under. So, I, in my opinion, I think it's you know you, you try to have as much depth as possible in each in each uh, line item. Got it. Um. So,
0: so what? One of the things that I know uh, certainly most contractors spend a lot of time uh, thinking about, and, and rightfully so. For lots of business reasons and personal reasons, uh, is profitability. Mm-hmm. But what role does profitability play? Is it just one of the check boxes? Um, what role does profitability play in a company's bonding capacity?
1: Um, it, it's huge, um, but it depends on the metric. So, uh, for instance, I, I'm going to dig in deep and then I'll, I'll walk it back a little bit. But obviously pro- profitability is is paramount in the bond underwriting process uh, because ultimately profitability enables the contractor to build their balance sheet. And once you have the, the working capital and, and equity, uh, basically that, that effectively means that you do have staying power. And that's what getting bonded is ultimately all about. Uh, the caveat to that is um, you want to be best practices relative to profitability, except I'd argue on on one item that uh, is counter to bond underwriting uh, as it relates to profitability, and that's the return on investment metric. Um, because basically you can drive that metric higher uh, with a leaner balance sheet, um, which is counter, like I said, it's counter to bond underwriting where, you know, it's bond underwriting is based on balance sheet metrics and having um, the, uh, the wherewithal to, you know, whether a bad job or, you know, whether uh, downturns in, in the economy. Um, and obviously, all of that starts with profitability. Um, but that's one carve out that I'd say is ROI isn't necessarily a metric. But um, to answer your question, yeah, profitability is is paramount. Uh, with with at, at the risk of going
0: into real uh, bonding geek land, um, talk more about the ROI metric
1: uh what so we actually yeah we we wouldn't right it's so return on investment is is basically uh net income uh relative to your equity or, or you know starting capital in the company um Got it. from my perspective that's not you know it's ca- i say it's counter to our underwriting metrics because if you came to me and said you were going to start a construction business and and you gave me two scenarios one where um you we're going to put in a million dollars to start and in another scenario where you are going to put in two million dollars to start I would probably recommend the two million uh, obviously depending on what you wanted to do um, but that makes that, that checks that you know staying power box um, in, in a more effective manner if that makes sense it does
0: so, so what, what are uh, what are, let me ask this question I'm, I'm interested in what we can learn. From the companies who consistently look the best in the eyes of underwriters. So, for this audience that mostly consists of contractors uh, and and also people who you know deal with contractors on a daily basis, uh, what can we learn from the companies who consistently um, are viewed
1: as good risks in the eyes of underwriters? Um i would go back to the you know the the best practices approach um, I, I think one of the very important things and obviously this depends on where a contractor is in, in their life cycle and if it's a you know long long standing contractor that has a you know long history of profitability uh, it's going going to be a different scenario and and they might not need the uh, the level of advice however um, I mean, it, it comes back to operational excellence in, in every department, right? So, uh, with your SM- going back to knowing your costs, I think that's imperative because you're making management decisions based on your performance. You're not going to know your performance unless you have accurate cost controls. Uh, you're not going to be able to bid accurately if you don't know all of your costs and know them accurately. Uh, you're not going to know which customers to focus on or which scopes of work to focus on. Uh, if you don't have those those true cost figures. Uh, So I'd start there. Um, And then, you know, if you think about contingency planning, you know, having a stable subcontractors and suppliers, having, you know, uh, plan A, plan B, plan C, that also goes for uh, capital as well, right? Best practices would tell you to, tell contractors to establish a working capital line of credit, uh, but not necessarily use it and keep it for a rainy day. And that way, if a, if a project does go sideways or if there's a hiccup along the way, um, you know, you, you have an outlet. Um,
0: I, I want to cool. get back to this cost controls thing for a second, Josh. Is that, you know, really practically, if I were a contractor and said, I, I, I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I really don't have a handle fully on my costs, I get to the end of the project and I'm kind of holding my breath and, and that's where I peek and see, like, did we do okay? Um, you know, and, and some of them, it's even tougher, right? They get to the end of the year and they just, it's really like what's left, (laughs) you know, um, if, if I'm in that boat, what are some tangible recommendations that you would have for getting my hands wrapped around my costs? Like just what are some things that you've seen your clients do, uh, that give them better control?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Again, that would depend on the, the size of the contractor. Um, but I think the, the easy answer is leverage technology. Um, you know, whether it's having a, a project management system tied to your accounting system that ties to your bidding system, uh, and have everything integrated. Uh from my perspective, I, I think um doing a, a post postmortem analysis is is imperative, right? That, that's how you know how your project teams are performing, uh how your customers, how valuable your customers are to you, you know, and types of work. Um so I would say leveraging technology, and the second thing is lean on trusted industry professionals. And in that world, it's obviously your construction-oriented CPA. I think that's that's imperative. Um, I think a lot of the time you'll you can ask most CPAs if if um, they specialize in construction. I would say most might say yes. Um, my recommendation is uh, look at companies that that you admire and and companies. Uh, other contractors that, you know, you strive to be like them and look at the industry professionals that they work with and, you know, start there for your, your CPA, for your attorney, for your, you know, construction consultant, bond agent, insurance agent, whole nine. Makes total sense. Yep.
0: I, I, I agree. I think, I think the answer, uh, you know, said in maybe a different way is also don't, don't try to go it alone. There's technology yes. and there are professionals that are literally there to help you to get your hands wrapped around that stuff. Um, and there's absolutely nothing um, that, that uh, should stop you from, from reaching out to those folks. Um, just a quick reminder to our audience, please uh, you know, start firing in some questions uh, you know, from your uh, perspective so that we can shift gears to that in just a few minutes. Um, uh, while I uh, move on to another question. So, so um, yeah, what are the most common mistakes that you see contractors make that are most damaging to their bondability?
1: Uh, good question. The short answer is, uh, losing money. Um, but the situations that I've seen, uh, lead to losing money, it's, it's any combination of, um, trying to grow too fast, uh, owner disengagement, uh, lack of internal controls. Um, a big one that I've seen is obviously jobs can go sideways, uh, the construction industry is very dynamic. But if, if you see that there's a systemic problem and there's systemic risk, either on on the you know specific scope of work that you're pursuing or a specific customer or type of contract, if, if you see a systemic risk and you do not address it, it's going to come back to haunt you. Um, so I've seen that quite a bit. Um, yeah, and then just not, I guess the not not having the attitude of uh, I don't know what I don't know. I I think obviously you need to be confident, but you, you know you have to have that little um, devil's advocate in your ear from time to time. To me,
0: it goes down to what what I'm how I'm translating what what you're saying is it goes down to um, you're working on your business. So when when it comes to working on your bonding capacity, what you're not you're not working on your bonding capacity, you're working on your business. Yes. That, that's what you're really doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so if a part of what you want is to improve your bondability, which will enable more growth, which will enable more opportunity and profitability and all those different types of things, if that's what you're looking for, <clears throat> you can't um, accept your things as they are today and say, Uh, Yeah, this is just, it's what I know. It's what, you know, this isn't what I do. I'm not going to be great at these things. Uh, You know, one of the biggest problems uh, or, 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 you know, kind of, I don't know, nails on a chalkboard for me when I hear is that like, like, we don't, we don't want an overdue process. We don't, we we just really don't like, uh, we like, you know, kind of allowing our people freedom, right? Which is to me, it's all, I'm not opposed to either of those comments. Usually, when I look under the hood, what that is code for is like we like to wing everything. and and that is a really good indicator uh, of somebody that is it's going to be really difficult if you have that mindset to actually work on improving it, to actually improve your business, it, yeah. you're, because you're just resisting uh, adopting. Uh, best practices and 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 principles. So uh, all right, I want to open up the door for for uh, the questions that that are coming in and uh, toss the ball here to Stacy, who I'm gonna bring back Stacy. What do we got? What kind of questions uh, do we have uh, for Josh?
2: Sure. <clears throat> so what advice would you give a contractor looking to grow their bonding capacity?
1: Um, the and this actually ties into Chad's last question too, but focus on the bottom line. Um don't chase revenue, don't chase the top line. Um, focus on the bottom line, uh, retain profits, um, establish controls and systems, um, lean on your trusted advisors, you know, you're just like we had mentioned, uh, CPA, attorney, construction consultant, you know, bond agent, um, insurance agent, the whole nine. Um, obviously leveraging technology and that, I think the biggest thing, Frankly, for me, in, in life, it's just having a, a growth mindset and, and always trying to learn. Um, you never want to be in a position to, uh, to have the, the industry pass you by. And if you think about what it takes to, to maximize your bonding capacity and, and the, the goal of bonding companies in uh, establishing a bond program with a contractor, it's staying power. And I haven't talked to any contractors who tell me the five-year plan and that includes going bankrupt in year five. Right. <laughs> so the goals are aligned in that regard. The mm-hmm. friction um, usually comes with the amount of capital that's required to retain the company to, to substantiate a larger bond program. Um, so I think that's the, the key, profitability and retaining earnings and, um, and then growing from there. So, so I have a
0: follow-on question regarding profitability. I, I totally agree with you uh, th- that, that companies put way too much emphasis on top-line growth um uh, and and not nearly enough emphasis on, on what that ultimately means to to profitability. But is there such a, a thing as is, is too much focus on profitability? And and in other words, are there are, are there here, how about this? Are there costs that you wouldn't recommend cutting? Do, do you, you know what I mean? Yeah, are there costs you're in. sort of saying don't do that?
1: Don't yes. cut. Yeah, So, um, yeah, it's a good question. So um, you don't want to step over dollars to reach for pennies. Right. You you don't want to try to maximize your profitability this year uh, and sacrifice your profitability the following three years as a result. So obviously, you know, it's a bounce. So when I say retain um, earnings and and focus on profitability, that that still uh, requires uh leaning on your trusted advisors and and industry professionals obviously there's a cost that comes with that leveraging technology there's a cost that comes with that but that's not those are investments in my opinion um so i think differentiate between you know investing in the future investing in your company um that's obviously imperative uh as it relates to staying power but if you're looking to cut costs you know do you need to uh you know, go to a, an industry event across the country and stay an extra week, like that, something like that. That's obviously not necessarily an investment in your company. Um, so, yeah, to, to answer your question, I'm not saying cut all costs and, and pinch every penny. It's, it's, you know, invest in your company um, and, and keep an eye on the long term.
0: And do you underwriters know? get that? So if I'm able to if I'm able to, to show the underwriter, if I'm able to sort of say like, OK, yes, um, we did not improve our bottom line last year. We we did three percent in 2020. We're gonna, we're going to do three percent again in bottom line in 2021. But I want you to see here this you know 140 thousand dollars worth of investments that we've made that I could have let go to the bottom line, but that we actually put into this training program that we put into um, you know employee raises so that we you know became more. Uh, durable against, mm-hmm. uh, you know, rising incomes, and and we didn't want to lose our key people to right. Yep. Up up. Do, do underwriters get that? Do they? You know, can you? Do you get an opportunity to tell that story?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, quite simply, that's that's our job as a as a bond professional and bond agent, right? So. That, a story like that doesn't necessarily jump off the page, and and uh, you know it's not like it's highlighted in the financials. Right. Um, but our job is to provide context around those financials. That's an easy story to tell if if a company's still profitable and making investments into the future. If it's a situation where you know, like everything else, it's a balance. So if if there's a scenario where you know you have a contractor who's lost money three years in a row and it's the same narrative all three years, like it's not going to fly. Um, so there's a balance there, but. Absolutely. The short answer is absolutely. That's part of the story, and and uh, obviously it's it's an investment in the future, and and obviously that matters. And that, that's that's ultimately what bonding companies want is staying power and, and a long term view on things. Awesome. Um, all right. So
2: yeah. On that. yeah, So, um, yeah. Lake Radcliffe asked, with so many projects running over schedule and over budget, plus rising labor challenges, how are you calculating and managing risk?
1: So I wouldn't say there's a uh, set metric relative to that type of risk, it's, um, you know, let's have a conversation about how you're going to address it. So um, when I mentioned previously, you know, you, you have your plan A and your plan B and your plan C, it, that doesn't necessarily mean that plans B and C are still, you know, makes the, the job of whatever, you know, like a very uh, successful job for you. But if it's something that keeps it from being a total disaster, that helps. Um, so the I think the biggest thing is just having contingency plans. So in other words, you know, with all the supply chain issues now, um, are you able to substitute products? Are you able to uh, obtain supply bonds from suppliers, which, you know, in, in my world, it's it's always mentioned, but I know in practice, it's it's more challenging um, than it, you know, than it would otherwise appear. Um, but just things like that and, and having, having access, if you're a subcontractor, having access to not only the GC, but the owner to have those conversations of, you know, contingency plans relative to specified materials, things like that. A- and relative to labor, you know, if, if, uh, if you can't staff a job, um, maybe not bid it. Uh, if, if, uh, you have the labor, uh, at, at the, you know, bid date and it, it evaporates by the time the project starts, then maybe plan B is, is subbing it, subbing it out. You're obviously sacrificing margin, but at least, you know, like I said, it will keep you from uh, it'll it'll avoid a, a large problem and maybe keep it a small problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. You just it, it's I it, I think that's a great point. It's you know so there's um it's all about making sure that you have given consideration to what would be necessary if I still had to perform. How would I work through these things? What are alternate materials? What are alternate labor sources? What are alternate vendors, you know, all, all those types of, um, uh, solutions and you still might struggle, but from a, from an underwriting standpoint,
1: uh,
0: that's what they, that's what they're looking
1: for. Yeah. And, and just go into a job, eyes wide open. And, and if, if you're concerned about something where you don't have, uh, you know, you're not satisfied with your you know, plan C, then, you know, talk to your attorney and see if you can, um, have an outlet in that, you know, just contractually and, 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 you know, have an outlet in that regard. Yeah. Great point. All
2: right, cool. No.
0: Stacy, I think we might have time for one more.
2: Okay. So um, Eric TV said we understand the most important things to a surety is equity, history, consistency, stability, routine process, process, procedure. And what are the three most detrimental attributes in the eyes of a surety? If you had to pick three.
1: Three most detrimental
2: mental um, attributes. Ooh, I like that.
1: Yeah, uh, I would say um, it, it depends on where uh, the the questioner is coming from. But if from from my seat, if somebody calls me and says they need a bond, and we start talking through that process, if in that process, you know, I, I mentioned the the character, the the first seat that I mentioned, uh, I'm in that first conversation, I might ask if you know how their personal credit report looks, and that answer is very telling. And uh, the statistics behind somebody who's had a bankruptcy, for instance, uh, it doesn't bode well for round two of starting a business. So I, I would say, you know, character and, and uh, uh, more narrowly defined personal credit is, is a huge item. Um, I would say um, any, it, it depends on the, the contractor. Um, but I would say, as as the underwriting process unfolds, look for systemic items that might cause either uh, project losses or um, overall operating losses. So it might be as simple as you know we've had subcontractor failures on three projects and and that you know tanked our year. Well, what are we doing about that process? Are we increasing your prequalification? You know, it's always it's the the whole the whole name of the game is um, identify systemic risks and understand why you aren't profitable if you aren't. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily narrow it down to three specific items, but the bottom line is um, uh, anything anything that uh, prohibits you from being profitable is probably you know name those as one, two, and three. And it, and I like, it depends on the the scope of work and, and the trade. I like the
0: I like the overriding uh, first bullet of like, do you pay your bills?
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> you do what you're, <laughs> you're going to do. Yeah. Good start. If
0: you, if you don't pay your bills. Uh, as an individual, that yes. might be a problem. In, in, you know, as a business, um, and 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 uh, the systemic problems. To me, and to me, that's really maybe how I would you know put a bow on on the conversation or wrap up the conversation that we've talked you know through today is that um, you you've got to identify those things in your business that are creating negative business outcomes. Period. That's yep. what you mean by systemic issues right exactly yep yep and having identified those be taking proactive steps to address those issues and then uh, you didn't say this but I will uh, do 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 uh, do everyone a favor and don't just throw a body at it okay yes. so 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 one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is we're getting this problem I need a VP of ops we're getting this problem. I need a CFO. We're getting this problem. And, and it's it, you, that may be true. But, but you also have to take personal responsibility for that as a business owner, as an executive team, personal responsibility for how that thing is happening rather than just bringing somebody else in to deal with a broken situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, because I cannot tell you how many people I see who are hired and who fail because the problem wasn't that they didn't have somebody in the role. The problem was that there are six other things that are contributing in that business to, to why that consistently happens. And that person hasn't been given control over changing those things. Right,
1: mm-hmm. yep.
0: Right, um, uh, anyway, we're, we're up on time and we really like to finish on time. So Josh, uh, I really, uh, again, Stacy and I appreciate you taking the time to join us uh, today and to share your knowledge. I can um, uh, honestly say that every time I speak with Josh, I get smarter. And, uh, and, and I hope that you guys did, uh, today too. I feel like you, 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 you know, I hope you feel like you learned something. Um, so, so just a, a couple of quick things, uh, to wrap up. Number one, make sure that you, if you didn't catch this whole thing and you want to make sure that you get access to it, we are posting these on YouTube. I'm, uh, uh, and I are sending out a weekly email that has contact, or I'm sorry, that has the registration for the upcoming session and that has the link from uh, the previous session. We're getting better at that part, so, so hang in there with us. Uh, but if you want to get an email distribution, shoot us a private chat, and we'll uh, get you added to our uh, email distribution list. That's number one. Um, we do this every Tuesday, though in December we're going to take a little bit of time off. Uh, we do this every Tuesday, and next week um, we will be uh, running this on uh, on the thirtieth, and if I'm not mistaken, Stacy, is that you
2: and I? Yes. Thirtieth. We need a guest to sub in for questions. And yeah, we'll no here, so Stacy. Stacy and I are going to be talking about
0: marketing best practices for contractors, mm-hmm. which I'm psyched about, and Stacy uh, is a real pro on. So I look forward to to having that discussion. And um, uh, so yeah, eight a.m. Eastern next thir- uh, next Tuesday. If you can't join. Uh, you can always catch the recording on LinkedIn or on YouTube, and if you want to make sure that you don't have to rely on LinkedIn to send you messages, send us uh, your email address and we'll take care of that um, for you. Josh, any final word for the audience before we sign off? Anything you want to say? Thank you both for having me. Thanks for listening,
1: and happy Thanksgiving.
0: Be safe. Thanks. You do the same. Stacy. anything you want to say to wrap us up?
2: Uh, if we didn't get to your questions, feel free to reach out to Josh, and I'm sure he can help yep. you with anything and, um, happy Thanksgiving, everybody.
0: Thanks so much. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. See you team. See ya. Bye-bye.